Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby. We are thankful that you have joined us today. This is the work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We're located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. You can reach us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, That You May Grow Thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. Once again, I am Greg Littmer, one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. My name is Jacob Taylor, one of the evangelists. I'm Ross Oldenkamp, an evangelist. Okay, sadly, the Sabbath controversy did not remain in Jerusalem. It followed Jesus as he returned to the region of Galilee. And Matthew gives us the fullest account of the next event with Mark adding the statement, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So let's go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 12. And in Matthew chapter 12, we'll read verses 1 through 8. It also appears in Mark chapter 2 and in Luke chapter 6, but Matthew's is the fullest account. So Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. Now when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on, on a Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry, he and his companions? How he entered the house of God, and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priests alone? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple violate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? But I say to you something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion rather than sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So it was a Sabbath day. And Jesus and his disciples, in the midst of an exciting and busy ministry were walking on the roads that led them through ripened fields of grain. I don't know, maybe it was perhaps the the press of the work on, upon them and the fevered pitch. It had not allowed them time for a leisurely meal. So as they moved through the, through the fields on the road, the disciples reached out and plucked the heads of the wheat, which was now ripe. To explain that, I'm going to read Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 24 and 25. I'll be reading from the King James Version. When thou comest into thy neighbor's vineyard, and when thou mayest, then thou mayest eat grapes thy fill at thine own pleasure, but thou shalt not put any in thy vessel. When thou comest into the standing corn of thy neighbor, then thou mayest pluck the ears with thine hand, but thou shalt not move a sickle unto thy neighbor's standing corn. This was understood to mean that the hungry were permitted to take any grain that they might reach from the highway to satisfy their hunger, but they were not permitted to enter the field itself. Stealing was not the charge which was leveled by the Pharisees. They were charging the Lord's disciples with breaking the Sabbath. They were charging them with reaping, threshing, and windowing as they plucked the grain, rubbed it out in their hands, and blown the chaff away. 
Yeah, this was essentially God's uh, welfare program. This was a provision for the poor that Moses uh, commanded. And uh, and so I think it does speak to uh, or show evidence uh, of Jesus uh, as one who was poor, uh, prophesied to be. Uh, and it's important to note that this accusation was was not merely an accusation of not keeping the traditions. Sometimes they would say, why don't you keep the traditions, you know, this was this was out and uh, out and out uh, charge of of violation of the law of Moses for which there would be grave consequences. You know the defense that Jesus offered, if I if a defense is the right way of putting it, was based upon five different points. One was the case of David when he ate the showbread to appease his hunger. The second was the conduct of the priest in carrying out temple sacrifices on the Sabbath day. The third principle set forth by Hosea that God desires mercy above sacrifice entered into the discussion. Fourth, the fundamental purpose of God in ordaining the Sabbath for man and not creating man for the Sabbath. And fifth, the crowning declaration that the Son of Man was Lord of the Sabbath. We'll look at these points one by one. The first argument refers to an event in the life of David. It is found in 1 Samuel chapter 21 verses 1 through 6. I think it's important that we notice in Jesus' defense that there was no attempt to discuss the propriety of what David did when he sought food for himself and his hungry men while in flight from Saul. The only food available was the showbread which the law of Moses strictly forbade anyone to eat other than the priest, Leviticus 24, 5-9. The Jews accepted what David did. Since they did not criticize David for eating the showbread under those trying circumstances, then why did they turn around and decry and criticize the disciples of the Lord? The second argument shows that there were certain inevitable conflicts of duty that were going to arise from the law which God had left man to work out according to his own conscience. For instance, the law forbade any work on the Sabbath, but the law also commanded certain sacrifices to be offered in the temple. When those sacrifices came on the Sabbath, the priest gave precedence to the law for sacrifice in the temple rather than the law of no work on the Sabbath. The argument is simple. Why criticize his disciples when they did not criticize the priest for thus apparently breaking the law? Jesus concludes this argument with a majestic declaration. In this place is one greater than the temple. Earlier in his ministry, Jesus showed his authority over the temple before the whole nation by cleansing it so forcefully of its merchandisers. If the priests of the temple were without guilt in their work of offering sacrifices on the Sabbath, how much more the disciples of the eternal high priest, whose ministry superseded and would bring to an end all such sacrifices. I've got got to admit that this has been a challenging text for me. One of the things that really challenges me is the uh, introduction of the David story, and uh, I 
personally feel that there is an implied, there is an implied, not outright stated, but implied uh, acknowledgement of, uh, of what David did. Because to use David as an example, that look, you, you guys look at what David did and you, you condone him. If what Jesus was saying was, well, if all he was saying was, yeah, well, David sinned too. I'm I'm not sure how that how that justifies Jesus. To me, this this is a justification of what Jesus allowed his disciples to do. And by saying, yeah, well, at least David has mud on him too. I don't see how that vindicates at all what his disciples did. Yeah, it would point out their hypocrisy. But to me, there's a message in there uh, that shows uh, that there there was there was a higher law that uh, was an important consideration. We may be in situations sometimes in life where where we we may feel that there are two laws that are coming in contrast to one another. Uh, you know, for example, the, the, our 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 meeting place was not built. Uh, as a shelter, you know, we don't we don't bring in and, and house people. We 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 have this place in order to worship God and assemble for that purpose. However, if there was some natural disaster bearing down on us, no one would uh, you know no one would say no. You can't come in here. You know, there's some some hurricane or something like that. We're going to give someone an opportunity to try to come out of the the wind and and save them. If uh, you know we're on our way to services and we find someone who's been in an accident, yeah, we may we may be late or even have to miss. Uh, you know, Scripture says we ought to be there to assemble and worship, but we're not going to pass by someone bleeding on the side of the road. So we've got these verses that seem to conflict with one another. What should we do in that circumstance? And I think uh, I think one of the messages is, uh, I desire mercy uh, and not sacrifice. Uh, in in those instances, I never created this. I never created this commandment in order to create a burden in circumstances like that. The the heart is so important on what you are what we are doing. I think we really see that with what Jesus quotes there, quoting uh, Hosea six six, uh, where that's what he's quoting in verse seven of Matthew twelve. The heart is so valuable. We see this throughout Scripture, um, Isaiah chapter one came to mind for me where it's talking about that they were doing the sacrifices celebrating the festivals but in verse 14 of Isaiah 1 it'll talk about that God hated them hated that they were observing these things hated these things and there's other chapters um, throughout scripture that talk about that they were doing what was to be done they were saying what was done was right honoring God with their lips but their hearts were far from God it's important of our heart being truly devoted to doing what is right for God. And also just the I think as we reach the, the end point, certainly Jesus provides the or the end point of the this these verses um, with the God that He's greater than the Sabbath. He's he, Jesus is greater. He uses these examples of David and of the law with the priests uh, to show there that they have no problem with these examples. So why do you have a problem with with the way the uh, disciples are acting. And then I think it's just the ending point of, and something greater than the temple is here. The, the someone greater than the Sabbath is here. Jesus is here. The new is here. And that is far greater 
than what has come prior. Jesus' final argument was, as you referred to, Jacob, it was a clear declaration of his personal authority. He said, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. I want to focus our attention primarily on the Son of Man because that's kind of a favorite self-designation of Jesus. It's found over 30 times in the Gospel according to Matthew, 15 times in the Gospel according to Mark, 25 times in the Gospel according to Luke, and 12 times in the Gospel according to John. It has often been viewed as a a designation that sets forth the human elements of Jesus' person. However, I think there's a whole lot more to it than just simply that. The phrase is often found in the Old Testament, such as in Psalm chapter 8 and verse 4, where it appears in the midst of a psalm that sets forth the lowliness and loftiness of mankind. It also appears in Psalm 80 and verse 17, which has a decidedly messianic favor. Ezekiel used the phrase of himself over 90 times. It is also found in the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 8 and verse 17. In that verse, Daniel is addressed by that designation. It is also used in one of Daniel's apocalyptic visions in Daniel chapter 7. Very similar to Daniel's usage of the phrase in his apocalyptic vision is the Lord's usage of it in Matthew 24, verse 30, Matthew 25, verse 31, and Matthew chapter 26, verse 64. The usage of this self-designation by Jesus is especially frequent and striking in passages referring to his future coming in judgment in which there is necessarily a certain resemblance to the apocalyptic scene in Daniel. In such utterances, the messianic conscience of Jesus is most emphatically expressed, and the passage in Daniel is also obviously messianic. In another considerable series of passages in which this phrase is used by Jesus, the references are to his sufferings and death, but the assumption that explains also most easily is that they are messianic too. Jesus was speaking of the fortunes to which he must submit on account of his vocation. In short, every passage where the phrase occurs is best understood from this point of view, whereas from any other point of view, not a few appear awkward and out of place. To simplify It appears that Jesus so often used this designation of himself because it is so decidedly messianic, because it both concealed and revealed to his hearers, and because of the connection it gave to him with all men. Yeah, so when he proclaims himself the Son of Man as Lord even of the Sabbath, in chapter 12, verse 8 of Matthew, I think it's important that we understand that he is not saying that as the Son of Man, he has the right to do whatever he wants on the Sabbath. Uh, He's not making an argument of him uh, because of his authority or power that he is somehow above the law. 
to be Lord of the Sabbath, I think the, uh, the message that he was sending was, as the Son of Man, who is Lord of the Sabbath, I know what the Sabbath means and was was requiring because I'm the one who made it. I'm the one who commanded it. Uh, I, you know, I'm the originator of it. And this would be a, a claim to his deity as well. And as such, that's why he pronounces his disciples as guiltless. Because if they had understood the, the four arguments that uh, Greg talked about, then they would not have condemned the guiltless. That's a, that's a reference to his disciples back in verse 1. I want to take just a moment and talk a little bit more about Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. You know, that's kind of a, a Hebrewism which more precisely means I desire not only sacrifice, but also mercy. This argument incorporates the fourth as well. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. The Lord's point was his disciples were without guilt in this matter, and the Pharisees would have recognized that if they understood Hosea's words. Mercy was behind it all. Mercy had led to the saving of the lives of David and his men, even though they broke the regulation regarding the eating of the showbread. Mercy permeated the sacrifices offered in the temple. Mercy was the underlying theme of the ministry of Jesus, which overshadowed the temple. It really, when you get kind of down to the basics of it, he's talking about the place of love, in God's plan and in God's operation. Anybody have anything you want to add to that? No. Nope? Okay. Then we're going to bring this lesson to a close. We want to thank each and every one of you who has listened. We hope that you're enjoying the study of the life of Christ as much as we're enjoying talking about it. And again, we'll remind you that you can reach us at our website, which is NKCofC. Dot com. Again, thanks for listening to That You May Grow Thereby.